0: For me I say only crazy people run that long. And we must be crazy <laughs> as runners, so we're not normal. Mesdames et Messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is gonna
1: be close. <gasps>
2: Hello, fans of Shuklistan, and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello, how are you today?
3: Feeling so sporty. I tried some archery, I did some kayaking, I did some very fast walking.
2: Very good. You had a pretty good Olympic day then.
3: I did. I mean, it wasn't on Olympic day, it was sort of in Olympic week. <laughs> Or maybe it was Olympic Day, like Japan time. <laughs> so, but yeah, I feel like, okay, I'm, I did some water, some land, not going to do any air. Okay. That's inj- cool. Yeah. So that's, I already caused an injury, so I got to keep it somewhat safe.
2: Yeah. You have a pretty big bruise. I <laughs> so. know, but I still
3: want to try pole vaulting.
2: Okay. We'll work on it. We'll Very see. Very small
3: pole. <laughs>
2: Very put it with the ski jump because ski jump is also on your list and they do have very tiny ski jumps to start with
3: yes i'm a very tiny person so we got to keep this size appropriate all right we'll work on it you know what i did not do what i did not run i can walk extremely fast but i cannot run
2: have you thought about race walking
3: i have thought about race walking because i have the hips for it i have the mm-hmm. flexibility yeah, and ability yeah. i think i'd actually be a really good race walker but i get bored in the middle I'd oh, be like, squirrel, okay. and something go, shiny okay. is over there. Right. I, I would well, lose focus. M- maybe
2: it's good like you can just get enough penalties to take a little bit of penalty time and that would shake it up enough in a race.
3: I would never win. I would just be hanging out in the penalty <laughs> loop, cheering other people on, eating a donut or something.
2: All right, let's move on to today's guest. Uh, We are talking with uh, marathoner Abdi Abdurrahman, who is the only American distance runner to have qualified for five Olympics. Uh, He started his Olympic career in 2000 and in Sydney and in Athens 2004 and Beijing 2008. He competed in the 10,000 meters. At London 2012, he switched over to the marathon and he will compete in the marathon again in 2020. He is author of the new book, Abdi's World, which will be released in August. Take a listen to our conversation, which also includes Book Club Claire, and we'll tell you why after the interview. Take a listen. So we want to talk about both the 10,000 meters and the marathon and how they work.
3: Because that's a long time to run.
2: We think it's a long time to run, Alison. I don't know. Abdi, do you think that it's a long time to run?
3: But oh, definitely, yeah, they're a long
0: time. Definitely, you are running two plus hours, so it just at the end of the day, that's why I, that's why I that's why I inspire. They they inspire me like recreational runners, the people who are not professional runners. They are the one who inspire me because they're the one who run three plus hours for a marathon, four hours, five hours, like two three hours. For me, I respect the more hours that you run. For us, we only run for two hours, so it just. I think like any time you run it, it only takes, it for me, I say only crazy people run <laughs> that long. And we must be crazy <laughs> as a runner, so we're not normal.
3: And not only do you run a long time each time, you've been doing this a long time. So now I'm a little concerned about your mental health, Optic.
0: I know. It is crazy, though. Yep, definitely. Sometimes I even question myself. Like, even the first 10 minutes, I question and say, "Why well, am I doing this? I say, you know, you, you you can find something else to do much easier than this. But after 10 minutes, I get that runner's high and I say, whoa, what a, it's the best place to be. I don't want to be no no other place than here and running. And
1: that's <laughs> just life.
2: Tell us a little bit about the strategy of the 10,000 meters, Cause especially now that the track and field trials are on, we've been watching, and there's, you know, it's not just guys running 20-some laps around the track. There's, like, jostling and, and, and a strategy for everybody going on. So tell us a little bit about how you've approached the 10,000.
0: Um, oh, man, that 10,000, I think the trials 10,000, it was one of the best races by the, in the trials so far because, and I'm biased, actually, so I just say that because I'm a distance runner. So please... <laughs> Oh, 800 meter was good too, by the way. So those two races was my favorite races. So, yeah. But, you know, 10,000 is like at this. And when you get to the trials, everybody, no one is running for time. Most of the people are just trying to finish top three. And if you watch the race, all the guys who have the A standards, they did not move to the front of the front of the race until the, about three or four laps to go and there's a four or five of them. So it just it becomes a kicker race and strategy and that's something it's not like something that they figure out that day is something that they be talk they talk about it with their coach, with their you know strength coaches, everybody. So and I think it's becoming a more a kicker race than like a pure race. It's not like I feel like they just run their the first mile the first like a five miles just to prepare themselves to the finish line, and King Willie Willy, Willy Kinke and and the kid who gets second, I forgot his name. They they both run like 53 second last lap, which is which is impressive. And I think the U.S. will do something special for the 10K if they can stay until the last lap, which is going to be totally different than the U.S. trials.
2: When you're running, it it's. How can you pass somebody, especially on the inside? There have been some people who've left holes on the inside, so they've let other runners come up. But, like, when you're kind of boxed in, how do you get out of that box?
0: Uh, you just hope for the best, to be honest. Like, uh, it just I haven't run the track in a long time. But for me, before, it was like I, I can get bo- you, you, you want my, if you get boxed in the first couple laps, like, you know, the first 10 laps, 12, you just want to stay there. Actually, it's good to be boxed in sometimes in the longer distance because like you can avoid, you can just run with people and draft on people instead of being in the front. But you don't want to be on the, you don't want to be boxed in about three, four laps to go during the race because you want to, you want to have a, like a open path to the, you know, if you want to make a move or just, you just want to have an open route open path. So for, for me, usually I just like, I, I try to stay in the front the front of the race, or just the pack of the leading group. So I just saw in case something happened, I can just go outside line or lane two, and then just start making my move instead of waiting someone to move. So and sometimes it's very difficult. There's a lot of juggling going on the race, especially when the race starts. Sometimes because that's when the people who doesn't belong to the front they want to go to the front, they want to be on the camera for the first couple of laps. You know, just a lot of things goes on. Do you wear spikes
2: for the ten thousand?
0: I used to. Yes, I did wear spikes. Yep, and I've been spiked many times.
2: Yeah, what's what's the difference between wearing spikes and... it I mean, is there a feel between spikes and, like, a regular road shoe?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, to, the track is a rubber, so you have more grip on the ground. So, you that it's like then than wearing, a, you know, the road racing shoes, which is like a flat. It doesn't have any, like, uh, spikes, and you cannot grip on the track. So, you cannot, like... Run faster. It's much easier to run faster than spikes than the road race shoes.
2: Oh, okay. Marathon shoes. What what's up with these Nike vaporflies?
0: No, nice. oh they're the best shoes out there. So they they save your legs, recovery, everything that you're running fast. You know, I remember because for me I've been around since two thousand, so I have seen the, the zoom normal marathon shoes to the Faber flies now to the next percent. And I have run it like a Zoom marathoners. I have run with those shoes. And I remember just finishing New York city marathon, like a 2008, 2004. I remember when I finished the race, I say, I will never run another marathon again because my calves, everything was hurting. But when I wore the Faber for a couple of years ago and I said, oh man, I didn't even run a marathon. So they basically saved your legs
2: i mean like shoe technology is so interesting because there was a lot of controversy about the vapor flies and and world athletics finally allow you know you never realize like they have limits on shoes
0: yeah but at the end of the day you know and i do I, i know what they're saying that there's a limit but we cannot just be stuck with the one shoes like the next 20 30 years There have to be innovation just like just like anything else in life you know if we if we want to run the shoe that we run like a 1924, they were just pure leather, nothing else was in there. So if they want us to run with those shoes, then I don't know. Then we should have not, we should not have electricity car. We should have nothing. We should not have any base. So you know, I, I applaud Nike. To be honest, they came up with a good idea, and people, other people are complaining. Hey, is it is a business or so is a competition? Whoever come out with the better product, it will benefit. So it's just the same way it goes to the cars. That's what they have in like fuel efficiency, everything. You just don't. But like a, you don't get like a five miles a gallon, so now you can get 30, 40 miles a gallon. and just, just look at the shoes the same way.
3: When you're approaching a marathon, how do you figure out what your strategy is going to be for that particular race? In terms of the course, in terms of who's running in that race, how do you look at it?
0: Ah, that's a great question. To be a marathon, first off, a marathon is totally different than like a shorter distance, like a 10,000 meter, 5,000 meters. So basically in a marathon, you just always want to know who's in the race, what they're capable of. But when the race goes off, when the guns goes off, everything goes out the window, to be honest, because like the marathon first, you don't, you don't go out that fast the first six, seven miles, you know, just as a marathon, like everybody can be there. Unless you're running with Kipchoge and then you're running four thirty, that's different. But uh, but for me, like I just I just run my own race and basically I don't wear a watch. That's one my strategy. I just if I wear if I wear a watch, usually I feel like I'm putting myself a limit what I'm capable of because like you instead of running how you feel, you're running with the time. So you just keep looking your watch, which I don't think is a good idea. For me, for me, I just I just compete. I just get to the front. If, I'm put, if I feel like I'm pushing too hard, I'm like uh, outreaching, I just uh, back off and just run a comfortable pace for me and run the people that I'm capable of running with, which is most of the time up in the, I'm up in the front with the lead group.
1: How do you fuel uh, I'm talking about uh, nutrients uh food Did you say that you kind of just run but I'm sure you have a plan when you are doing a marathon that you need to figure out where you need to eat where you need to drink what what is your plan
0: uh you know for me for me like uh... I always tell people, I say, you know, practice makes everything perfect. For me, my my diet is something like it's not like a day before the race or like a couple. It's something that I do daily basis and it's a normal. Does I eat the same thing that I eat night before my long run. Every Sunday I do a long run, like a 20 plus mile or so. Night before that, I'll just eat like a normal dinner i just i'll make like a spaghetti just like a lot of carbohydrate and just and that's the same thing that i do during the during the marathon because i don't want to try anything new just because like if the marathon is only one race like every few months we might do like every every year we might do one or two races but i don't want to i want to like my body to get used to the all year around what i eat and just just my normal diet so I don't try anything new the night before the race, and just and I and I told people because some people think, oh, what should I should eat? They look at the athletes plate and they say, oh, he's eating that. Maybe I'm gonna run as fast as him, so um, they started doing the same thing that guy eating. So they never get used to, it. so they have stomach problem or they don't like, you know, their body doesn't perform. The digestion is not perfect, you know. it's just like so your body have to get used to it, the food you are eating it too. Like when you're running that long, that long for two hours and. And everything has to go your way.
3: Do you have a favorite marathon, a favorite course?
0: Oh, for me, I love, I love Boston and New York, two of my favorite. I love Boston. I love, Boston is a great, like it just, I, I call the Boston Marathon Equalizer and New York because people don't run like a London or Chicago. They don't run like a 203 or 204, you know, just a lot of hills. It's a challenging and they always bring the strength of the runners. So that's why I do well there.
3: And what are you thinking about the Tokyo course in not Tokyo? Uh,
0: Yeah, that course, I have seen it is a loop. I'm just, I'm not like for me, one thing I like, I don't know why this kind of, it's kind of something that I like to do. I don't like to know about the course. I just, I just, just, I don't want to think about it a lot. I feel like the best thing for me to do is prepare myself, get fit, and just go out there and compete without worrying about what's in the course, how is it going to be, what time, what time. Just if you're ready and you're yourself, you prepare yourself, you'll do well. And if you're not, you're not going to do well. So the less the less stress I have, the better I do. So for me, I'm not even worried about the course. I'm just worried about myself. I'm trying to get as fit as I can.
2: Does having such a long career help you in that? When you know your body and you know you're you're running and it's race day. And you know how far to push yourself, or when to go back, or when to chase.
0: Yeah, definitely. You, for me, running like a twenty-plus years, you know, it always helps a lot. You know, just because I know there are so many races that I make mistake, and and the people they say don't make the same mistake twice. So it just I don't make that that big mistakes a lot of the, a lot of the races. But I just run my own race. So, and also ex- my experience is just I run. And that's the reason I don't wear a watch. I just run how I feel. It just, I pace myself and I know the people to run with and just like, and I know like where to make my move, where not not to make moves, you know, just, and usually I don't get competitive with people until I pass the halfway races. So just, they say the first half marathon is not even the race, so the race starts the next half. And that's how I approach.
3: What's going through your head for two hours?
0: Two hours, lecture. to be honest, most of the time, nothing, actually, like, a, sometimes, like, you know, the, and to be perfect, sometimes there's like the, you just thinking about the finish line, so you can't finish line get any closer, just, and that's when you're not having a good day, so I don't have a, the best days, most, but when you're having a good day, you just, nothing goes through your head, but just the race.
2: Some races have pace setters, do they have pace setters at the Olympics?
0: There's no pace setters in the Olympics, there's a fewer competition.
3: With the Olympic races, you obviously have many fewer runners just in the environment. I mean, obviously, when you're racing New York and Boston, most of the crowd is way behind you. But does it feel significantly, and of course, now we're not going to even have spectators, but does it feel significantly different in an Olympic environment versus those big marathons?
0: Uh, not actually not to be honest it just feels the same way to because you're running against the same people because like if you think about it if you think about it like a new york or Boston marathon they usually have like about 100 elite or like maybe cup maybe like they they have like over two maybe 100 to, to 150 elite and after the first couple of miles there's only maybe like a 20 or 30 guys who are together in the, in the lead group and that's how the olympic works usually like they have a they maybe have each country have three people, so they will have maybe like maybe ha- two three hundred athletes and that after the first three months there will be only fifty or sixty guys who are together, just like a major world major marathon. So it's just it doesn't feel that much different. Only the difference is gonna be the crowd this year. and I hope we're gonna have a crowd the Japanese people because they love marathons, so they're gonna come out. they're gonna come out, I think.
2: Is there trash talking?
0: Oh, yeah, there's a lot of track, not really, but I like to talk people like not in the Olympics but in 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 New York City, or just like some of the guys you know just during the media day you know just you're trying to get out of people's head, you know just some of the guys who are not like if you know if you know their weakness and the thing that they know they don't like you just tell them, oh the race is gonna go out so fast tomorrow some awesome is gonna go like a four thirty pace I say so. that's the pace they're asking for so. Just to mess up with their hair, that doesn't work with me because I don't care whoever runs, so I usually don't watch. And I can tell people who usually think about the pace, how fast, because they are usually ask me, how fast are you going to go? What group are you going to go with? And I say, I'm going with the lead group, and they usually just leave me alone.
3: What does your race day look like? What's your ritual?
0: Ah, My race day ritual, usually I just wake up in the morning around maybe the race usually starts at ten, so I usually wake up like five thirty. Just uh shave my head. Usually, just I, I don't know why, just shave my head, and then just get my breakfast. And other than that, I don't have any ritual. I should just go to the starting lineup on the bus, just listen some music, relax, just uh, somehow warm up 20, 30 minutes before the race. And the when guns, I'm just I'm nervous before the guns go off before before like we at the start I'm super nervous and that nerves goes away right after the first like even the 400 minute you know, I'm just back to normal and because that's usually happens when I'm about to do well
3: so when we're watching the marathon on TV other than somebody's ahead somebody's behind how do we know that a runner's having a good day or a bad day
0: Oh, you can tell them their face expression and it depends what point of the race if the if the race the, if the race is in a 22 mile mark and someone is like uh way behind and someone's you can always tell the guy in the front the one who's leading is having a good day even though marathon anything can happen 23 to 26.2 miles something anything can happen the last three miles so you just you just if, someone, if they're close to each other, you just never know who's going to win until someone crosses that finish line. So because anything, a lot of people collapse the last mile or just even 800 meters to go, people usually just break down. They cannot even run anymore, barely moving, and they get passed many times.
1: In the 10,000 meters, you're running on a track. There's nothing in front of you. But when you're running a marathon and you're in that lead pack or even in the in the packs behind, there's usually a car with a bunch of people with cameras trained on you is that at all distracting or are you just able to get past that and just focus on the course uh you can just focus on
0: the course and that sometimes helps though if you're leading the marathon and about two three miles to go and the lead car is in front of you so you're just trying to you're just trying to get as close as you can to the lead car maintain so you can drift you can drift on the lead car so yeah sometimes it helps
1: that is news I did that know. That's great to know.
3: <laughs> I'm just imagining the drafting on the lead car. Like, are we gonna to have to adjust for that? Depending on what the car is.
2: London. London was not a great experience. Tell tell us a little bit about what happened.
3: Uh London was one of
0: those races I just totally forgot about it. and just I I left with everything in London. Just I didn't want to even think about it. It was a, you know, it was a difficult time for me. You know, I got injured right when I get there. I have a knee problem, but just, I tried to run it, but I made it to the halfway. I just I just couldn't run with pain. So sometimes they say in the marathon, you run, I came in a real, really good shape, but I was not healthy. Sometimes they say you should come in like a 60%, 70% shape with a healthy body. So I was like 190% shape, but I was not healthy. So. I have a new problem. I was DNF and it was one of the saddest days, but, you know, that's past and, you know, it just happened. It's just, it just injures something that we all deal with as as an athlete.
2: When it kind of piggybacking on that, one of the things you talked about in your book that I, I really thought was a good message was for younger kids, you don't have to run so far so fast you Know your body's still developing and and how you listen to your body, and maybe you take off longer times or take more rest in order to be healthy, and that that's really helped with the longevity you've had.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know, just for me, I wasn't a high mileage guy when I was in college, and that's when I started running in college. So I wasn't high mileage, I wasn't doing like 120, 120 plus miles a week, and just I was doing 60, 60, 50 miles a week when I was in college, even when I was. When I became a professional, the first few years I was running uh, the track. I was I was doing eighty miles, you know, just. And now these days, you see the kids who are doing like a hundred, hundred plus miles. They're not even a marathoners. They're five thousand meter, fifteen hundred meter runners. You know what? You will have a great career, but you, your career will be great for a few years, but you will never have a long jeopardy. And for me, I choose. I want to have a long career and I, and I enjoy running too and if something happened to me if, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm having any problem with my body or just I'm not feeling well or just something's achy instead of just pushing through be like that macho man to say hey, nothing is going to fall I'm the toughest guy no I just let just my, let my body recover because that the you're not a machine because you're a human being, and you, if something is hurting, the, it's your body telling you, "Hey, you're pushing too much, or something's wrong." So the best thing to do is just to take a time to recover. You will come back stronger than ever. Instead of being like a five, six weeks, or it doesn't matter how long, however, take you like a to recover injury, it will take you three, four days to recover. So instead of four to six weeks, you can take three three to four days to recover so that's the way i look at it for me i'm in the long term not the short
1: when you
2: think about your race year how many marathons do you like to do
0: i like for me i like to do two max two marathons a year that's plenty because yeah you know two marathons is a lot too because you know two marathons is just the races but those to get ready for those two marathons you have to train back Four to five months each of them, and you're doing like a hundred miles. So that's a lot on your body. Just imagine doing three or four marathons. Your career, instead of lasting like a twenty-plus years career, you'd be having like a ten-plus years. And that happened a lot. I won't call any names, but you see a lot of people who came after me and retired way before I even make my second, third, fourth Olympics. Forget about the fifth, so.
2: So these these people who do, like, 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days are just really crazy.
0: Uh that, That's a difference. I wouldn't call them crazy, but it's just a different kind of people. So I'm talking about the elite level. Those people, they do. Okay. Yeah, those people do those kind of marathons, but they don't do, like, 120-plus miles a week to train for it and at, at the and same time do, like, a marathon each week. So for them, they probably do 50, 60 miles, and they do – and they do a marathon a week. For me, I do a marathon almost every weekend. 20-plus miles every Sunday, I do a long run. It's not as fast as it's it's like like maybe 20 seconds slower than marathon pace.
3: I'll be the one to say it. That is a lot of running.
1: <laughs> but let's be honest. It only takes, what, two hours for you to, to, to do 20-plus miles? For some of us, it takes a lot longer. So it's just like a, a normal early morning run. No big deal.
0: Yep. Yeah, this morning I went for 12 miles, and it took me like a two hours and seven minutes. So, No, one hour and seven minutes. There we go.
1: I had a question about your competitors in Tokyo slash Sapporo. Let's say, who, who are you looking to be in that lead pack with? I know uh, Elliot Kipchoge is the current world record holder, Galen Rupp. Uh, qualified for the marathon as well in the United States who are you looking to be in that pack with?
0: Oh my God I'm looking for everybody to be honest all the athletes who, are, who made it to support or are, are the best in their country and they're, and that's the athlete you know that you want to be with. so to be honest I'm looking I'm looking seeing to see all, all the athletes who are going to be there and I think it's going to be amazing. Race and just, I want to get to the front and you know, see what I'm capable of. Just, but I'm not going to take anyone lightly because I know if you count someone out, what they're capable of doing. Because I was one of those people sometimes when people say, Oh, Abdi's done, he's not going to be able to do it. But hey, I accomplished my goals. There's a lot of people who are like me, and people are counting me out. There's people like you know, from Uganda, he's a defense, he, he was the Olympic champion in 2012, so he's going to do. Great things, you know. Just there's a lot of people. To, I'm looking, seeing everybody.
1: You've been training with Mofera. Is he qualified to to uh, go to the marathon?
0: No, no, he's doing the thing. Okay, man.
1: that I didn't know what they were doing in Great Britain. So, but you have been training with him in Ethiopia. How has that been?
0: That that's been great, you know. Just sometimes, uh, man. It was it was the best training camp because it's in nine thousand above sea level in Ethiopia. Less distraction, and group of guys who have the same goal who have, who have the same thing that you wanted. Yeah, it just is the the best motivation athlete could ask for. Training the four-time Olympic champion, we trying to we trying to get one medal, but he has a four gold medal, so that's amazing. So it just that's kind of they say that say if you want to be successful, surround yourself with success successful people, so you learn from. So that's what I try to do.
2: Does he? Do you have to call him Sermo?
0: Oh, yeah, we call him Sarmo, he doesn't like it, but we call him Sarmo, so yeah, <laughs> just, it's just funny. Sometimes we go to eat, we go out to the restaurant, and we just say, hey, Sarmo Far, and people just look at it. And a lot of people recognize him, so even sometimes he, he, he wears his hoodie, and then we say, Sarmo Far, and everybody would just stand up and say, Sarmo Far, see?
1: and he doesn't like it.
2: Thank you so much, Abdi. You can find Abdi on all socials at Abdi Runs. We will have links to those in the show notes. You can pre-order his book at SolsticePublishing.com. It will be out in August. Book Club Claire was on the interview with us because this book will be one of our 2022 book club selections. It's a really fun read, so we thought you all would enjoy it as well. So uh, you can... Get it, order it now for a pre-release or if you want to wait till 2022 or put it on a, you know, gift wish list or something. We won't falter that either, but know that that's coming down the horn. You know, he talked at the end about Mo and training with Sir Mo. Sir Mo. is not going to Tokyo.
3: Oh, no, Sir Mo.
2: I know he did not. He was going to run the 10,000 again and he did not make the qualifying time. And that's been something... That's a little confusing. They have Olympic standard times that you have to meet. So even if you won your national trials, but did not have the Olympic standard, you have until a certain date to make that standard. And I think that that's right around now. And if you don't make that time, you don't get to go.
3: And that came up in the U.S. swimming trials in some of the distance speeds because there were people who finished lower in the trials, but because they had made the standard in some other event are the ones who are going.
2: Mm, That makes sense. And there were, at track and field trials, there were runners who ran races again in order to get that standard. And that that was interesting to watch. And I think it's something that's a little confusing, but they do have standards of times. And I bet it's like an Eddie the Eagle Edwards type of rule.
3: Right. Or or the infamous... Halfpipe skier from right. Pyeongchang, from Hungary, right. air quotes.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, the IOC doesn't always want to have, the, they want to maintain standards and have the best in the world compete. And and there have been exceptions. Like we, I know people would point to Eric the Eel uh, from, I believe he was from Equatorial Guinea who competed in that swimming and right. and. Could not swim very well, but the IOC was really trying at that point in history to be more inclusive of other countries. So they made a few spots available to countries that normally wouldn't participate in some sports. So we did see some slow swimming there, but uh, I think they're really trying to make it be the best of the best. It's time to check in with our team Keep the Flame Alive.
3: Welcome to Shukvastan.
2: Citizens of Shouklistan, our members of Team Keep the Flame Alive, our roster of past guests.
3: So speaking of the best of the best, Deanna Price won the hammer throw at the U.S. Olympic Trials. She broke her own American record twice, first in the third throw and then again in the fifth throw, where she surpassed the 80-meter mark for the first time.
2: And she was amazing. Oh, she, she was good, so man. amazing to watch. I cannot wait to watch her throw at... Tokyo, she's going to do fantastic. But she looks so strong. Uh, Jordan Gray, our decathlete, she ended up competing in the haptathlon and she finished 11th. She was pleased with her performance, she said, on social media. She'll be back to compete for 2024.
3: Tony Acevedo will be part of the water polo broadcast team on NBC.
2: Which is very exciting. Hey, Did you see the list of announcers and uh, broadcasters they're going to
3: have? It's huge. I did not, so now I need to take a look.
2: They they are going to have Tony's going to be great. He is and he's going to add a whole lot to the water polo coverage. They're going to have 178 commentators just on NBC for all of the sports, but they've really built out those teams. So I'm excited about our coverage. I, I noted. That the BBC is going to have like 350 hours or so of coverage. <laughs> and it was just like UK gets three fifty, US gets seven thousand.
3: Though, as somebody in our Facebook group noted, there may be about six thousand worth of commercials. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll we'll have to see how much actual
2: coverage we get. Right? See how tired I am. Very curious about what listeners think of the commercials that they see all the time. And I can tell you already, I am tired of the some of the Toyota commercials.
3: I haven't seen it yet. You know what? I have been watching most of the trials on replay. I haven't been watching the live. Oh, okay. So I've been doing the fast forwarding, trying to get through as much as quickly as possible. Gotcha. Gotcha. Which I think is a good way to go because then by the time Tokyo comes around and I'll be watching a lot more stuff live, Mm -hmm. the the commercials will be new and fresh. So I recommend that approach.
2: Yeah. We'll see what happens. And and something like I I can imagine that Peacock's going to be showing – the same five commercials all the time?
3: I'm very uh, Yeah, curious. that's the the NBC streaming service probably does not have the full penalty of mm-hmm. selections.
2: News from Madeline Mims. Listener Manu in the Facebook group posted the fact that uh, Vera Nikolic, who was Madeline's big competition back when they competed... She was a a Yugoslavian runner at the time. She passed away this year at uh, age 72. So I forwarded that on to Madeline because the news was all in Serbian and I didn't think that it would be getting to her. And she responded right away. She was really sorry to hear the news and said she's not going to be able to go to the game. She didn't have credentials. And because of the ban on foreigners, she doesn't get to go. It would have been her 10th Olympiad to serve. So that was a little... Uh, disappointing for her, she trained a tra- uh, an Olympic chaplain to serve the track and field team, but that also shut down with the, the pandemic postponement. They've sent gift bags to the track and field trials for those who made the team and the coaches and the managers. And so they said during the games, video clips from Olympic alumni will be posted on social media for them in support of their athletic endeavors, and they'll have three Olympic alumni chaplains on call uh, via WhatsApp for prayer and counseling and listening. So it's nice that they've been able to figure out ways to offer those services, even if they can't be there in person.
3: John McLeod won an honorable mention at the 2021 Hollywood New Directors Film Festival for his documentary, Conviction, The Steve Gentner Story, which we have talked about and screened and absolutely adore. So congratulations to John. Yes. Yes.
2: Bunch of news on Tokyo. The IOC is going to relax the ban on protests a little bit. So this was reported by Inside the Games, and the IOC is set to relax some of this complete ban they had on athlete demonstrations. So they're talking about granting athletes permission to demonstrate, including raising a fist or taking a knee, at certain times and in certain places before their competition at the Games. So this could be like when players line up to be announced or walk into the arena or are introduced on the platform prior to their events. They still would be banned from protesting or demonstrating on the podium at the games. But this is kind of a shift from Rule 50, which is kind of interesting that they're backing off a little bit.
3: Well, it makes sense because their whole dance has been it doesn't belong on the field of play. We don't want it to interfere with the competition and we don't want it to interfere with other athletes or take away those athletes moment of moment in the sun. So if it's just the introductions, will that work? You know, that appease.
2: That's a good question, but that is a moment in introductions. That is a moment when the spotlight is on that athlete in particular No, I would say not necessarily impacting other athletes who did not ask to be impacted, say on a podium.
3: And it'll be interesting to see, especially, do you end up then with more protests? Because podium is, there are three people there. There's only three people who could potentially protest. And now you've opened it up to everybody, in a way.
1: Yeah, in a
2: way, it'll be interesting to see how many athletes do do something. And see if this is a we just want the right to be able to speak freely and demonstrate or if getting the right causes a lot more protests and there's a lot more unrest that we see in the world that needs
3: attention. It'll be, you know, between this and all the COVID things, those those are absolutely being set up to be the two big stories. Right. Not the heat. (laughs)
2: Oh, we'll talk about the heat too. Making a U-turn, Japan will now allow babies of breastfeeding mothers to travel with their moms. So this is a good thing because several athletes were faced with this impossible choice between leaving their children in order to compete or not being able to bring their child and having to come up with another feeding source because so many people prefer to breastfeed their children. This included American marathoner uh, Alafine Tulamuk, soccer star Alex Morgan, and Canadian basketball player Kim Goucher. This is a good sign. What I'm wondering is okay, if the babies get let in, who comes in to take care of the babies while mom's working?
3: That's a fair question. Though I assume there will be staff with those teams that Hmm. will have that role, possibly. Um, We'll have to see how you know, big teams like the US and Canada will, will make it work. It'll be interesting to see how smaller teams who don't have as much support personnel, will they create a role for dads that all of a sudden are now trainers to that to, to actually be. But I mean, if you're a breastfeeding mother and you're going to be away from your baby for more than 12 hours, you're going to end up not being a breastfeeding mother anymore right so this was this was a significant ask of mothers and the fact that this was even an issue was ridiculous
2: i agree with you this this should have been taken into consideration especially since also this games is going to be the games of the
3: moms so many women who are mothers have qualified and serena williams pulled out She's not no longer breastfeeding. Her daughter is older, but clearly because she didn't want to be from her away from her daughter for two weeks.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's hard. And you know, note to Paris 2024, or even Beijing 2022, Olympic Village Daycare.
3: It's Absolutely. I mean, you've got dads too. I mean, it's not just the mothers. I mean, mothers obviously have that physical, breastfeeding mothers have the physical question, but- there's a lot of parents competing. These careers are going on longer and people are figuring out you don't have to give up one for the other.
2: I also think that Olympic daycare would be fun. Can you imagine all those kids just have races and climb things?
3: I was just going to say the running around would take on a whole new meaning. (laughs) You could just have Usain Bolt, you know, monitoring the kids because he's the only one who could keep up with them. Can you imagine? and, and, And
2: within like five minutes he'd have all of them doing that usain bolt hand thing that he always did after his races where he just makes that pose
3: well he's a dad too now he knows what he's doing
2: exactly oh hey have to have to throw that into the middle of the tokyo 2020 update because columbia has just lost five of its eight places that it earned for the weightlifting competition Due to multiple doping violations. Colombia was only one of three nations uh, alongside China and the U.S. to qualify the maximum eight athletes for Tokyo. But now they can only send three. And this is rough for them because weightlifting is Colombia's top sport in terms of medals won.
3: So apparently those three athletes will not only receive a COVID test in the airport, they will also have to pee in a cup.
2: (laughs) I wonder, I wonder just how the ITA, every, all the testing agencies are just looking at people like, okay, well, we're looking at you. And this is not good news for weightlifting because we already know they're on the outs. And it's like, and some other news came out today about the International Weightlifting Federation, how they said no to constitutional reforms. And it's just like they're poking at the IOC, forcing them to take take the hard stance. And we, we all know the IOC loves to take a hard stance. I, I really would not be surprised if this is the last time we see weightlifting in the Olympics for a while, which would be very sad for clean athletes and clean organizations who participate.
3: Happier news. Yay. Give me some happy news.
2: Torch Relay is coming to Tokyo. Well, I don't even know if this is happy because the Torch Relay is coming to the Tokyo prefecture on July 9th, except for the Kyoto News reported that the first eight days will be off-road. They're going to be off road for another week before the torch will actually make it to the streets because of COVID.
3: Okay, that was not the happy news I was looking for. Try again.
2: This I thought was really cool. Kyoto News also reported that every time a Japanese athlete wins a gold medal at the Olympics or Paralympics, a mailbox is going to be replaced by a golden mailbox with the, the little Tokyo logo on it. And it will be put in a location linked to that athlete. So it could be in their hometown, it could be at their training base. But that—that's what uh, will be one of the commemorations that will be there for a long time. I'd love Much that. Better. I Much love better. I'd love that idea. Uh, and then the International Paralympic Committee named its refugee team. They will have uh, a six-member team, five men, one woman, competing in athletics, swimming, canoe, and taekwondo. They will compete under the IPC flag, and they will march in first at the opening ceremonies.
3: Oh, that's an excellent idea. I like that. I'm excited for them. I'm excited for the Paralympics in general this year. I had a really horrible thought last night when I couldn't sleep at four in the morning. I woke up and I said to myself, what if there is a terrible COVID outbreak during the Olympics? And they cancel the Paralympics because of it. Oh,
2: that would be horrible.
3: So Olympians, please don't be stupid and ruin it for your fellow team members.
2: Right. That would be horrible. That would be so sad. But hopefully not. Hopefully the Olympics will go well so that the, the Paralympics could get the recognition and the attention it deserves.
3: Remember when we read Roy Tomazawa's book and he, about 1964, the last Tokyo Games, mm-hmm. and he spoke a lot about how when the Paralympics came to Tokyo then, it really changed how the Japanese viewed disabilities and also how internationally the view of disabilities changed and what people were able to do. And I feel like the Paralympics are at a tipping point. Mm-hmm to say they're equal to the Olympics. They, they deserve recognition. These athletes are amazing. So I feel like, again, the Tokyo Paralympics can change how people view disabilities and view disabled athletes. So don't screw it up.
2: Right. Right. And we kind of saw one of those tipping points at London with so many fans. And I think Rio's organizing committee having some financial issues and that took away some of that momentum that London built but I think if we look at Tokyo going into Paris going into LA three very strong host cities that were set. if if all goes well at Tokyo it just sets it up for a much stronger Paralympic movement and more awareness and hopefully participation in the Paralympic movement which is the key All right, so that's going to do it for this week. Let us know what you think about running marathons.
3: Email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com or call or text us at 208-352-6348. That's 208-FLAME-IT. We're Flame Alive Pod on Twitter and Insta and keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook.
2: On Monday, we'll have another show for you with author Jeremy Fuchs, who has written the new book, Total Olympics. So as we go out to music by Mercury Sunset, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive.